Regenerative, it's always a matter of co-creation and rebuilding and constant evolution uh, that makes the thing better, whatever that thing might be. How do we, you know, as a, as a group of, you know, 20, let's say 20 different organizations and individuals, um, collaborate on developing an equitable exchange of knowledge and experience across a network you know, that effectively we as individuals don't necessarily exist as such, but much more so as at the intersection of various forces. And we are an expression of the more than human world and ourselves in that engagement and sort of this relational piece. Hello, and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid N News. Today's guest is Pavel Senkel. Pavel is the head of college at Schumacher College in Devon, England. He was previously Professor of Environmental Humanities and Associate Dean at Sterling College in Vermont, and he has over 25 years of experience in higher education. He's a researcher on ecologically-minded curriculum development and environmental philosophy instructor. He also has been an avid endurance and adventure runner through a project called Climate Run. He's covered hundreds of miles in the Arctic and subarctic on foot in order to bring attention to the connections between our bodies and the more than human world in the face of a rapidly changing climate. And in this conversation, you will hear about how curriculum at Schumacher College also becomes an embodied experience, moving with the rhythms of the landscape. And this is particularly interesting because this landscape that we see as an event, not as a static thing. I won't divulge too much. I won't ruin the surprise, but I invite you to come into this conversation with an open mind, specifically because we get to the heart of what regenerative learning might be not what it is but what it might be as it is an experience an event a relational interaction of becoming of emergence rather than a linear plan a mechanistic curriculum and in this sense we really open some interesting pathways as to what that might look like not just at schumacher college but also at the local level your local level so without much ado here is my conversation with pavel Hi, Pavel. Really happy to have you on the show. Really looking forward to investigating a little bit more your work, uh, your thinking. I read your essay in the book, Regenerative Learning, which was absolutely fabulous. And really looking forward to seeing uh, how your thinking might translate not just into the world of big ideas, but also on the ground. Um, I wanted to uh, start by uh, asking you the question we ask all our guests, which is, who are you and what story do you want to tell? Great. Thanks, Benjamin. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, it's a great question uh, you know, to start with because it, it could go anywhere. Uh, and whenever I'm asked something, like, who am I? We, what is my identity? We all have so many different identities, don't we? Um, you know, I could start with my job title, which is I'm head of Schumacher College and the director of learning and land at Dartington Trust, uh, which is a learning charity in South Devon in England, uh, where I'm s sitting right now uh, in the midst of a a really beautiful 1,200-acre uh, rural estate with you know, beautiful sunshine coming in, overlooking some uh, grade two-star listed gardens just outside my window, um, which you know speaks to sort of one element of, of what we are and, and and what we do and what I do. Um, so in in that role, maybe we start there. Uh, in sort of those two roles, which effectively are, are sort of merged into overseeing uh, educational programming, uh, you know, all of our learning programs and how they integrate with the landscape. Uh, you know, on this effectively 1,200-acre campus here, uh, you know, I arrived here in, uh, I think, October of 2019, uh, so a couple of months before the start of our global pandemic. Um, and, you know, 
I arrived to a, a Schumacher College as sort of head of head of college, which is the role I applied for. Uh, and so we're running two postgraduate programs at the time and I had a total of 23 students there. And um, you know, over the last three and a half years, we've evolved uh, effectively the relationship between Schumacher, which is a, it's a department of the Darlington Trust, um, and the whole, and to sort of think about the whole thing as an engaged and integrated campus uh, where students look at all sorts of relationships between the human and the more than human from a variety of different perspectives. Uh, and we now have about 120 students. Uh, so we've grown about fivefold, four or fivefold uh, over the three years that I've been here. And really because, you know, I have this, and, and one of the reasons I came here is sort of this felt need that at this historic moment, uh, similarly to when Schumacher was founded, uh, you know, 30 years ago now, at this historic moment, we're, more and more people are so keenly aware of the ecological crises, the um, social, you know, social crises that we have around the globe, the you know, armed conflict at our doorstep here, um, you know, the cost of living crisis they have that's sort of throughout the world, um, you know, challenges to continued fossil fuel use and you know, biodiversity loss, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that you know, more students and participants are looking for ways to engage in those conversations and to really move beyond just thinking in the abstract, uh, but actually, you know, getting the tools and skills and you know connection to networks so that they can apply that thinking in really practical ways and make some substantive change. And so, you know, by way of answering who am I, um, you know, I I see my role as helping to create spaces that foster that sort of authentic engagement with those questions. Um, through curriculum design development, through network building, uh, through sort of developing new programs um, and reaching out to partners so that we can collaborate in our sort of engagement of some of these challenges. Um, it's not as though we're in a sort of a, a, a institution in a bubble. Um, you know, we really depend upon both our sort of significant alumni network, uh, where we have sort of active alumni groups all around the world, uh, you know, throughout the global south, um, you know, throughout Europe, North America and elsewhere uh, that are looking to sort of create, you know, hubs of um, uh, hubs of action, um, you know, because those students, once they leave here, you know, are to find themselves to continuing to want to be engaged in regenerative and transportive learning processes and how they help to foster those wherever they might be. And so for me, sort of connecting with those networks um, and really sort of leveraging those relationships to continue that learning um, and give our students access to that is absolutely key. Uh, so, you know, stepping back a little bit, I came here from, you know, about 15 years at a small college in Vermont, in New England, uh, in the U.S., where I was the various sorts of dean uh, and faculty for, for that time. And that, it, that also was a, a undergraduate school that was really focused on experiential learning um, you know, a, a similar sort of head, heart, and hands model that that we engage with at, at Schumacher College, uh, and develop programs there in sort of environmental humanities, in sustainable food systems, um, and you know, felt that you know to be able to leverage further um, sort of a greater impact, it was helpful to use that as a sort of stepping stone. I felt I had done what I could do in that space. Uh, and then the opportunity to come over to England and work with colleagues at Schumacher and at Dartington and to be able to sort of step onto a more international stage was really uh, a great opportunity to, I think, create a greater impact, which is what I was looking for. Um, and so in my day to day, uh, you know, I, I do work at sort of an administrative level, but I, I absolutely insist on, uh, you know, continuing relationships with students. Um, I was teaching a, a seminar on environmental philosophy on Monday. 
uh, to undergraduates in our regenerative food and farming program, um, and you know to sort of step outside their their comfort zone of some of the sort of more sort of plant science and practical application that they might do on course. Um, and I think it I think it went over well. Um, I haven't heard back from from the uh, program lead on that yet, but they seemed happy at the end of the session. Uh, and so, you know, uh, my favorite moments uh, in the work that I do are really, you know, one looking at the big picture, uh, and you know, looking at how we can create these uh, curricula that are you know partnership based, that are collaborative, that look at global networks. Um, and also at the individual scale of you know working with small groups of students um, and doing participatory practices if we can. Um, you know one of the uh, programs that I've designed from the ground up here is uh, MA uh, called Movement Mind and Ecology, uh, and that you know I think really brings together a number of uh, sort of strands of my own work over the last you know, couple of decades really. Um, and you know, I just had a meeting with the program lead, uh, Dr. Rachel Sweeney, who takes that program forward. That's now entering its third year, uh, but effectively, that's a program that brings together. I think the, the you know it is what it says on the tin. Um, you know, movement practice of various sorts from you know students who come who are engaged in uh, outdoor pursuits, you know, which is wilderness canoeing or rock climbing or backpacking, or students who come from a dance practice or a somatic embodied practice, um, and you know, look at that relationship between the human and the more than human world through movement practice. Uh, and so we look at things like interspecies collaborations, uh, you know, not just, sort of, you know, let's see what the birds do as we um, sort of see them fly from tree to tree or look at migration patterns, but actually think about movement ecology as a discipline and how we can participate in that uh, and how our own movement might you know, resonate with the movement of the wind or the trees or, you know, larger or periglacial landscapes um, and the movement of the Earth's crust and ocean currents and you know, how we're all sort of engaged in this participatory movement um, that hopefully will allow us to connect more deeply with the more than human world. So it's that alive space um, that I'm trying to get students and, and colleagues to inhabit. I, I love this idea of movement with the more than human and the rhythms that we might share and get in sync with that. I think that's absolutely beautiful. There's an artistry there, but also a science there. And of course, it, it, it connects with the heart. There's a lot of things I want to pick up here, a lot of threads. I, I will go and ask you the question that we ask everyone else immediately, uh, which is, how do you define learning? Yeah, well, I think that the for me, the answer is quite similar to, to the direction that the conversation has been going already. Um, and you know, I happen to have in front of me a, a prospectus from a conference that I attended at um, in Gubaneshwar in India in uh, late November last year um, called the International Symposium on Regenerative Ecosystems. And I was invited there to give a keynote about uh, the work that we do here and how actually sort of regenerative learning um, can contribute to regenerative ecosystems and, and, and in that relationship. And I've recently been drafting a, um, uh, an essay that comes out of the presentation that I gave there, that which is exactly about that. It's about movement. Um, and it's about how when you look at a network, you know, you know, the typical network map has all sorts of dots and lines connecting it on the page and um, really pretty pictures, right? Uh, and, you know, it can be broken down into two things. But what, uh, what most network sort of map representations don't show it's, it's all about the relationship between the nodes on the network. Um, so I sometimes ask my students, or imagine that sort of network map, but without the nodes in it. You, know, you just have the lines, but the lines 
a representative of flow from one to another, of relationship, of movement, of practice, of experience, of embodiment, all of, the, all of those sorts of things. And without, if you don't focus on that, right, then you focus on the structures. Uh, and, you know, I've been thinking quite a bit about, you know, really over the last decade or more, uh, about you know, getting away from structures. Uh, so when we think about learning, higher education in particular, like maybe we've been pushed in a in a positive direction. If there's any or silver lining to the you know global pandemic and COVID, it's that a lot of higher education providers um, and or learning technologists and so on were pressed more quickly in the direction that I think we were evolving in already, uh, which is to really sort of unbundle uh, is a word that a lot of people use. You know the institution of higher education. And rather than think about sort of monolithic institutions or sort of singular degrees or uh, you know things that sort of manifest themselves as holes um, with a, with a W holes, uh, it, it is about sort of thinking about the the individual parts. And so rather than starting with the structure and starting with the the sort of form of things, you know I'd much rather start with the ideas, the concepts, the actions, the experiences, and say, all right, well, how does Let's, let's listen to the world and listen to ourselves. And how does that then manifest itself in some new network that's constantly evolving and never fixed, right? So there's a there's a beginning to be, uh, and I'd like to think that Schumacher and Darden have been at the vanguard of this for for you know more than twenty years. They're starting to be sort of people are catching up, uh, which I think is a great thing. Um, and there's more opportunities for students to say, all right, well, let's co-create this new um, you know, model for learning that is about engagement, it's about relationship and practice. And it's not so much about, well, let's just you know, all go into this you know, big building and, and learn things um, and then go out and try to apply them. It, the application comes first. So the experience comes first. Um, and you know, it, I think about another one of our master's programs, uh, Engaged Ecology, uh, which started, I think, for its third iteration this this past January, um, is one of our newer programs. And they actually begin with the uh, with a making process. Um, you know, I sometimes describe all most of our programs as really being about the same thing. Um, it's about being able to inhabit that alive space in the more in the human and more than human relationship, and then what we do with that um, with that relationship. Hopefully, you know, make some greater change, you know, in the world, right? So this engaged ecology program uses making practice, right? So you know, the students begin by, uh, you know, harvesting flax, you know, that's grown in the in the college gardens that has been planted by the previous year's, co year's cohort, and then processing the flax, fermenting it, processing it, and turning it into um, linen, you know, thread that then they weave on small looms. And you know, it takes a really long time. It's really difficult work. But they end up with a little swatch of fabric uh, that then, you know, that's their entry point into conversations about you know human more than human relationships, about embodied practice, about textiles, about you know sort of traditional crafts. Um, and they do that repeatedly throughout the early parts of the program as sort of entry points. Um, you know, it's sort of true to the you know, balance of the head, heart, and hands model at the college where you're always doing all of those things. Um, I actually asked the undergrads on, on Monday, so when you think of head, heart, and hands, you know, do you think of, oh, in the morning you do head, in the afternoon you do heart, and then in the evening you do hands? It's like, no, it's always the three together as much as possible. I, I love this idea of, of making a little, a little swatch, and all of them will be different, and all of them will be the unique, unique experience in itself. Uh, unlike a machine that standardizes it by by definition, and then there's also the tactile piece of it. I'm also I'm also struck by the fact that I see 
where you are in, in, in your home. I see myself in the reflection on the, on the Zoom. And, and, our, and our homes are, are, are square. They're, they're square spaces with these lines. And, and I think of what you say about structures. And, and I think about this house and how there have been people who lived in this house before me. And there will be people who live in this house after me. And the structure itself is really made out of dead materials. And it is there. And it looks a certain way. And it's been sketched out and planned out. And, and the life that inhabits the house really doesn't matter other than, you know, the damage that my cats might do to the house, but it doesn't matter. Whereas, whereas if we're talking about the energy flows, the, the connections that's in between us, much like the little swatches of linen, everything is, is, depends on, on the moment-to-moment relationships. It's a completely different way of, of looking at learning. Um, and, and approaching the experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm inspired quite a bit by the work of um, uh, Neri Oxman, uh, who is a designer and scientist that uh, you know worked at MIT Media Lab, um, and I think she's got her own her own business at the moment, her own company that consults on sort of using uh, you know biomimetic or modeling, um, you know, and so you're thinking about you know uh, sort of computational uh, materialism and and sort of really some amazing idiosyncratic things. Um, but you know her thesis, which I think she published in 2010, was about uh, this crisis of form, uh, and I keep coming back to that. Like, why are we so drawn to? Well, let's build a thing and then let's fill it with stuff. Um, I mean, that's put really simply, right? But why not take the stuff that we have and see what we can build with it instead? Um, and you know, I, I sort of challenge my students to do that. Like, why are we sort of framed, you know, in this particular way? Let's you know, go outside and let's think about something completely different. Um, so I asked them on Monday, for example, go outside, and I'd like you to draw the world inside out. Um, and we prefaced that with, with some conversation, but effectively, you know, draw it with yourself and your immediate relationship at the center of the image, and then, uh, you know, move outward from there through movement and through experience. Um, and that just that subtle shift, I was like, well, we're seeing something anew. Um, we're stepping outside of our, of our framework and our box and potentially our comfort zone um, and engaging with that. And I think that's where the learning really happens. And just like you said at the very beginning, we have so many identities that every picture in itself that they might draw would be different based on how they they, they cut their own selves and, and their relationship with the world. The, the book is called Regenerative Learning. And the word regeneration is something that we're hearing more and more and more. And I kind of worry about the idea of there was greenwashing with sustainability. I, I worry that there's going to be teal washing with regeneration. And all of a sudden, everything's regenerative and Coca-Cola is going to be regenerative soon. But maybe, maybe we can try to um, come up with maybe... I don't want to use the word definition because that entails definite, and and this is the, not where we 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 want to play with this. But maybe some of the feelings or the senses about what regenerative learning might be. What what are some of the principles? That's probably a, a better word uh, of what that might look like. And and you've already hinted at that. But maybe if there's a way that we can um, uh, maybe make it clearer for some of the our listeners who might not be entirely comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say that um, you know. The, you have the regenerative learning book there. Um, we do have an additional book, the transformative learning book, which I co-edited with Satish Kumar, I think in 2021. Um, and I have a chapter in that that's titled regenerative learning, um, which I think the evolution of that led to that next book. Um, and you know, regenerative at, at, as sort of a, uh, an agroecological process, you know, that where it, which is where it has its roots um, about sort of building soil health. Uh, and effectively, it's beyond. It, for me, it, you can define it as being a beyond sustainability. That you know, I, I had real difficulty with the term sustainability. You know, even before it got into the sort of greenwashing realm, and everything is now sustainable. Um, you know, sustainable development is an interesting, you know, challenging term for me sometimes. Uh, that you know, what is it that you're actually sustaining? 
Um, are you sustaining a status quo? Are you sustaining our ability to not care? Um, are you or to not engage? Um, and you know, so regenerative, you know, for me, yes, you know, there's problems with all, all sorts of terms, uh, and there are conversations among myself and our colleagues about, you know, is this the right term? And it, maybe it's the right term now. Maybe it won't be in five years. Um, but we've got the, got the opportunity still, I think, to define it for ourselves, right? So if you take it from its, you know, it, from its root as sort of um, uh, helping to build soil health and helping to sort of create more uh, sort of healthier ecological, um, agroecological systems and agroforestry systems, and then expand from that to think about how you actually build uh, sort of regenerative learning, regenerative institutions um, and cultures, uh, then for me, it's about sort of the flow back into. Uh, and it's always about sort of co-creation and rebuilding and constant evolution uh, that makes the thing better, whatever that thing might be. Uh, and it's not extractive, it's um, whatever the opposite of extractive is, accretive, you know, it sort of builds, uh, you know, continually. And I think that depends upon a lot of what we've talked about here, which is, you know, the movement, the experience, the networking, the bringing back to. Um, and, you know, I, I occasionally, you know, describe, well, ecosystems, if you think about a, a, an ecosystem, it doesn't really have a center. I mean, you may have keystone species, you may have key indicators, but, you know, it, it is more or less a, a sort of equitable, you know, exchange of um, of materials across across a sort of dynamic organic framework. So for me, regenerative exists in that, in that frame, um, that you have to be open to, you know, that sort of model. Um, it's almost like you're creating a sort of know that um, an anti a non-institutional mycelial network that is you know spread across you know for, from a learning perspective you know spread across experiences that are global or experiences that are bioregional um, and you know resonates with everybody who's having that experience over here and brings that to connect with the core curriculum and you know impacts the the um, the experience that people are having on, over here um, yeah, I'm not being particularly articulate but I can I, let me give an example. That, you know, I've been doing some work probably for the last uh, 18 or 24 months with a, uh, a working group that's part of the UN development program um, called CAFSA, which is the Conscious Food Systems Alliance. And as part of that group, I've been um, developing a, uh, a network of local hubs. Uh, you're working with about 20 active partners across the world, uh, many of whom actually are uh, Schumacher alumni who are developing projects in places like Peru and Colombia and uh, South Africa and Australia and you know Japan and um, uh, and China and elsewhere and India, um, and building a curriculum really from the ground up um, and thinking about how do we you know as a as a group of you know twenty let's say twenty different organizations and individuals um, collaborate on developing an equitable exchange of knowledge and experience across a network. Um, so that it isn't such that, you know, Schumacher says, well, we're going to develop a curricular program and we're going to invite you to participate. Actually, it's fully participatory uh, from the very beginning. So we've started by having sort of sharing of experience and, and information from, you know, our partners in Peru, you know, across that network. And what learning might be, you know, drawn from that by somebody who's in India that might be having some similar challenges in, you know, community engagement or in soil health, you know, in soil conservation or other types of regenerative processes, you know, that for me is is absolutely wonderful. Uh, and then we can bring students into that, say, great, you know, you want to tap into this network and you need to contribute to it. Um, so it's absolutely participatory uh, and and built sort of from, uh, you know, from the grassroots, from the ground up. 
And you're going back to that that concept of it's not doesn't begin with a framework. It doesn't begin with a structure. It begins with the ideas and the concepts and the experience that I think that leads to a truly regenerative process. And I love this idea of just letting it grow organically. I mean, it might be a bit cliche, but really what is it? It depends on who's in the room at the right moment. And it's not necessarily about who's in the room. It's about the relationship, the dynamic of the people who are in the room. So we move away from these individuals, these separate, you know, this banking system of learning, and it's about our relationship and what comes out of that. It's the in-between us that allows us to create these. And if other people were to join, then that would change everything altogether. And that's okay because we're happy with what comes out. That's what I'm getting from what you're saying. No, absolutely. Um, and you know, I'd say Paulo Freire is is you know key to some of our um, some of our conversations here. I'm actually just in the midst of, of validating a, a new master's program in education, which effectively is about transformative learning. Um, and would you know because I felt you know we're not having enough of an impact, um, and I want to make sure that you know people that want to teach in this way or want to have themselves a transformative learning you know with their own students can come and you know, receive some of the skills, tools, and, and network connections that, that in order to be able to do that. Um, so you know, hopefully that will start in you know this this September. Um, and you know that's really built on you know not just uh, you know uh, sort of educational you know activists like like Paulo Freire, but you know also the roots of Dartington uh, in through the development of the estate and in, in the redevelopment of the estate in 1925 by Dorothy and Leonard Elmhurst. Um, who wanted to sort of build a model of a just and sustainable society built upon the philosophies and, and sort of actions of John Dewey, for example, of Rabindranath Tagore for another, um, that really foregrounded the idea of experiential learning and learning by doing. Um, that's been the history here for 100 years. And so we're not, I mean, I, it's not that we're not doing anything new, but we're building upon um, you know, so much of that legacy and seeing how does that work in our contemporary world? where we have these tools that we've never had before that have sort of extended our capacity to work across, you know, across boundaries that we never could to access, to provide access to people that never had access before. Um, and I think to really sort of multiply our impact, which hopefully can have that broader change. One of the things that you said early on, which really struck me was the design of learning programs that integrate with the landscape. Now, the first thing that I imagine is, okay, so that means it's place-based, that means it's working with with the land, it means working with the people. But a a subtle, sophisticated addition to that, I suppose that I'm I'm getting at, is that the landscape changes every moment. The hills that we see change every moment, the flowers, the meadows, the seasons, the people, the wind, as you mentioned with with working. That when you work with the landscape, that itself is not fixed. How how is that and, and how would that bring in uh, the more than human world. And again, you, you touched upon that, but maybe we can look at some of the the more um, uh, concrete or granular experiences you might be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I think pausing on the the term more than human is, is I think, really important. Um, not many people use that as their default term. You know, often it's the non-human or the other than human or the, you know, nature or the environment or so on. And I've really sort of fixated on that term. I think David Abram uses more than human quite a bit in his work as well. Um, you know, that it, it represents us not as separate from things, not as sort of, you know, the binary opposite of something, but actually um, sort of encompassed by uh, things that are greater than us. Uh, and so I think even that subtle shift in language helps us to shift our perception and then our engagement and our experience with the world around us, right? So, so we begin with that as a premise. 
Um, you know, I was describing a, a sort of an activity that I often do with students, which is based on the work of a, a, a journalist, a journalist, a journal writer, uh, and artist, Hannah Hinchman, uh, who works quite a bit in the American West. Uh, and she has this process she describes as event mapping, uh, which I find really quite, quite wonderful that, you know, you, you don't, you go out into the, into somewhere um, and you just take a walk and whatever you're drawn to or drawn by, you stop for a while and you engage with that. And, you know, you sketch it or you draw it or you describe it. Um, and it, you don't describe it as a thing, but as an event. Uh, so what is the, the tree as an event? It's no longer a tree. It is treeing. Um, or the stone is stoning, or the river is rivering. And, and what does that actually mean? Um, you know, because part of it, you are the participant. You, know, you are helping to create that relationship and create that event. So, you know, as you've said a couple of times, it, it is different every time and for every person. Uh, so you might come to a stream and, and see it, you know, in this sunlight and you know, feel the wind and maybe see a fish or a frog or something. Um, and you're in a particular state of mind. So you're going to have that event be completely different than somebody who comes on it an hour later. Um, so some of the activities that we do are simply observation. Um, because I think you know, many students come to us, and I'm thinking about our arts and ecology program or our arts and place program, and they haven't really had the experience of observing, of deep observation. Um, and I have a colleague, Stefan Harding, who has been with the college you know, since, its, since its beginning, really. Um, and he founded the um, Masters in Holistic Science, which ran for more than 20 years. Um, and, you know, we do this in a number of programs. We ask students to just find a spot, uh, a sit spot that they return to, you know, over the course of the, of, of the program. So maybe, you know, once a week for six months. Um, and, you know, you observe. Uh, and then you reflect on the changes that you've seen in that observation and the, the transformation of that landscape and yourself uh, because at the same time, you're engaged in this deep learning process. Um, you know, what does that change in yourself have as an impact uh, on the land uh, as you're looking at it? And then conversely, you know, what impact does the land have on you or does, does the more than human world have on you? Um, so, you know, I think from a variety of different perspectives, whether it's, you know, uh, harvesting the flax, uh, whether it's participating in, um, you know, cultivating the, the gardens and, and, you know, weeding or harvesting the food, which all of our students participate in. Uh, on a sort of rotational basis, uh, or whether it's in movement practice, you know, we take students, you know, into the river. We, we're we're fortunate to be sort of bounded by the river Dart here uh, for about, you know, five kilometers along uh, along one of the sides of the campus, um, or you know, simply you know, going into the woods um, and engaging in sort of interspecies collaboration collaboration practice um, and seeing what what comes out of that. Um, so again, it's not sort of creating it's creating loose frameworks within which people can have these sort of um, it really embodied visceral experiences with place, um, and then seeing seeing what emerges from that. And this really touches on a lot of the work of the posthumanists and and looking at uh, assemblages and 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 the way that we are intra-acting uh, in, in our space and, and, and quantum physics as well. I mean, the, these this idea of events and the fact that uh, we don't we, we're just vibrations anyway. But what, what I'm trying to get at is that this isn't just some crazy woo woo uh, ideas here. It's 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 really based in in the most cutting edge science that there is, as well as ancient wisdoms. Well, absolutely, and it, it's it's really where they intersect. Um, you know, I really like uh, Matthew Tyson. I think has a great piece where he talks about. Um, I think that the piece begins with him taking a mountain bike ride and thinking about sort of the undulations and topography of, of the mountainside and how he's drawn down it, not because of where he wants to go, but where the land wants him to go. And he comes to this great, uh, great phrase that we are an expression of forces. 
you know, that effectively we as individuals don't necessarily exist as such, but much more so as at the intersection of various forces. And we are an expression of the more than human world and ourselves in that engagement and sort of this relational piece. And for me, it, it you know, yes, it's a, it's a framework that we um, uh, sort of work with students in that I think helps them to see this concept of you, you don't have to be in a fixed institution. You know, you can look at economic systems, for example, and say, wait a minute, they don't have to be this way. Because if we have, if we can embody sort of different um, sort of expressions of ourselves or different relationships or from a post-human concept, you know, what happens when you take, you know, humans away from the center of the image um, and it becomes a much more complex socio-ecological system and structure, right? That, just that little shift, the, the sort of change in nomenclature even can have massive impact on when you decide, I was like, how are we going to change an economic system or how are we going to... You know, think about policy decisions, or how are we going to, in our ecological design thinking program, how are we going to design a community consultation process that is grounded in these principles, you know, as opposed to sort of a hierarchical structure? Um, I think just you know, every conversation that we that I have with students is really trying to get at that. Like, what if you reshape our relationship? Um, and it, it starts with something really simple, like weaving a bit of of linen or sitting by a tree. Um, but through that learning process, even as, in as little time as a week uh, or two, you know, the students engage with that and they begin to understand the sort of resonance that those immediate embodied practices have with larger systems and structures. I'm also very interested in this idea of the networks after graduation, the networks during their experience in school that go beyond the school, beyond the typical education space. We could think of, you know, many institutions, yes, they'll send kids off to internships and they might collab on research, but this is something different. This is something about creating, um, not to use a term that's that's overused, but creating a real ecosystem uh, of learning and, and bringing in expertise from other places. How does that work uh, on a day-to-day -day or, or a year-to-year -year level? Yeah, well, it works on a number of levels. One, I think it's it useful to point out most of our um, postgraduate programs are low residency. Uh, so, you know, students come for an intensive two weeks uh, or three weeks, and then they step away and we hold them kind of loosely online uh, for an additional, you know, three or four weeks to end that module. Um, and during that time, you know, many of them go home, many of them, you know, some of them have, have work, uh, but also are able to engage and implement with what they're learning in the class in the, in, when they're here on site, right? So it's already, you know, even before they graduate, um, they've got the opportunity to practice what they've learned in the classroom in their own context. Um, and the demographic of our students is really quite interesting. I think we have students from, you know, early 20s all the way through their 70s. Um, so that intergenerational connection where people who have been in, the, in, the, been in industry or been in enterprise um, and have, you know, we have people who have PhDs who are coming back here for a master's um, because they're looking for that transformative element of how do I then take ecological systems thinking and apply it to you know, this bigger piece of work that I've been doing for a lifetime um, and to transform it. And then they go and they apply that and immediately, you know, they come back to us, say, look, I'm doing this amazing thing. You know, would you like to partner with me um, and help me to develop this learning program that, that I have? I, th I think, you know, probably a fortnight doesn't go by uh, without me getting an email from someone um, who, you know, was at Schumacher, whether they were here for a week-long short course or whether they're here for a master's program. And, you know, they've, begun to develop an idea. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's sort of fully formed, you know, there, there are a number of really active organizations such as, you know, Schumacher Sprouts in Belgium, uh, which is a group of alumni who have put together a, a 
learning program that involves sort of agriculture and community work and sort of systems thinking it, it there and actually work with some of our faculty on delivering the programs. There are groups in France and in Portugal and in Spain and Italy and, and elsewhere. So virtually everywhere there's a there's a Schumacher alumni from, um, they've begun to create these nodes uh, where it's not a replication, but it's an extension of what it is that Schumacher does. Um, and so our students have sort of, you know immediate access to that to that network. Um, and you know to be totally transparent, we're we're sort of redeveloping you know those relationships. Um, you know, there was an attempt a few years ago to sort of create a, you know, all bells and whistles online environment, uh, you know, global network that it wasn't as successful as it could have been. Uh, so we're, you know, actually starting with the alumni and reaching out and saying, well, what would be the best way to support your development of this network? Um, because I know that there are active alumni, you know, groups, you know, internationally um, that already collaborate. Uh, and, you know, they're quite keen for our students to become further involved with them. So it, it is, again, the sense of, you know, how can we co-create um, this participatory organic development of this network? Um, because that's, you know, I would say that, that that should be one of the main reasons that students want to come join us. That, you know, yes, absolutely. The immersive learning, the embodied practice, the community living that, that we do here is, you know, I think um, better than anywhere else. Right. But. Also, you're connected to all of these practitioners who are at the leading edge of uh, transformative learning, of sort of reimagining systems and structures, um, of agroecological thinking, you know, all of these great um, uh, initiatives that they can tap into. I mean, you know, for example, some of our uh, ecological design thinking students, you know, have opportunity, they have been over the last couple of years going to um, a uh, organization called Sienda Naturaleza in, uh, in Peru in the cloud forest. And working on, you know, with them, that was founded by Schumacher alumni already. And so to think about immediate postgraduate placements um, in places like that, where they can contribute to the development of not just sort of agricultural, um, uh, you know, sort of soil health and agriculture, but also community development and learning and working with school children and, and all of that. Um, so you know, we're, we're building out more of those relationships, but those are absolutely there. And that's the thing that's so important is that it's just not about the soils and the trees and so forth. Although it's connected in every way, the community building can take so many different forms using the same principles and and, and not severing the, the link between the two. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it's interesting. You know, when I said I spent about 15 years at, at Sterling College, an undergraduate um, you know, college in Vermont, um, and ended up you know, shortly before I, I moved on from there, developing, helping to develop uh, sustainable food systems, you know, sort of thinking about the sustainable agriculture program and how those could be connected to one another. And then, you know, coming to Schumacher and, you know, when I arrived, there was a, uh, there is a six month horticulture residency program that's been running you know, probably for about, you know, six years now, uh, but there was no master's program and no undergraduate program in food and farming. And now there are. Uh, so effectively, you know, that's not my background. Um, it's not in agriculture. I have, I have three degrees in English literature. Um, and so my background is much more in environmental humanities and philosophy um, and sort of the applications of those things in, in a real world context. But I'm drawn to developing curricula and supporting the development around sustainable food and farming, around agroecology, around regenerative practices in the soil, uh, because you know I've come to realize that ultimately you know, one, there is no more intimate relationship that one can have with the natural world than by eating it and by putting it inside you, right? So as much as you can participate with those processes, you know, even if it's just a minor part of, of your study, um, that becomes such a key piece uh, of experiential learning to participate in the production of the food that you eat. 
I'll uh, ask you one more question that really is, uh, is really the et cetera section. What, what's next on your horizons? What, what are you thinking and feeling for the next short, medium, long-term, whatever is, whatever is uh, however you want to approach well, it? Well, I mean, for me, I've been thinking a lot about access, um, you know, recognizing that we are small. We have 120 students. We don't really intend to grow to beyond, you know, 250, 300 students here on site. Um, but, you know, clearly, from my perspective, if, if all you do is, all you do, um, if your focus is on educating 300 students at a time, um, and we've got these major, uh, you know, crises in the world, um, you know, climate, social, et cetera. That's not, that's not good enough. Um, and so for me, it is building the cooperative and collaborative networks, um, you know, whatever the discipline, you know, whether it's food and farming, whether it's uh, arts and ecology, whether it's, you know, ecological design, uh, whether it's economics, um, and to really sort of move past, you know, I think higher education institutions are still quite competitive with one another. You know, for tuition fees, for students, for you know whatever it might be, because you know margins are are thin, um, and it's a really difficult and competitive world. But I think we're at the cusp of massive change uh, in higher education broadly, um, and so you know I'm quite keen to explore what that change is in a very active way, uh, and so beginning some of those conversations and some of those partnerships that can bridge um, educational institutions and providers and say we can't continue doing what we're doing. Um, you know, we need to be much more modular, much more flexible, much more co-creative. Um, and for me, that's the key to you know, making wholesale you know, change and not just transformative learning, but transforming learning um, overall. So, you know, that's the goal. Listen, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. It's been a great pleasure. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. We are in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. Check us out, www.coconut-thinking.design. You'll find resources, articles, podcast episodes, and hopefully a lot of things to point you in the direction to a bit of the conversation about regenerative learning. Again, that's www.coconut-thinking.design. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye-bye.